This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. It is Tuesday. Usually a Monday affair, but because, you know, I got things going on and he's got things going on, but we finally catch up. The Robs are back together again. Rob Simpson of VancouverHockeyNow.com and yours truly talking about the Vancouver Canucks. And Rob, you've been covering this team as close, if not closer than anybody else in the market. I'm not a mathematician, but I know that they have to stay hot right now. As a fan, that's great because you sit there and you, you know, dissect these numbers eight different ways to get the solution that works for you. Do the players look at the standings the way that fans do? Absolutely. And it was rather humorous this morning, Roberto, talking to Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux about that very topic. And he said, I am watching and I'm looking at the scoreboard from four o'clock in the afternoon till the end of the night. I'm, it's between periods. It's before the game. It's after game. He's either watching hockey or in the case of obviously when he's concerned about the game that he's participating with, he's checking that scoreboard when he gets the opportunity. So yes, they are well aware of it. JT Miller this morning talked to the media as well and said, oh yeah, I mean, we have to kind of pay attention because you know it's a motivational factor. We want to know where we stand and uh, they now have to take care of business here against the New Jersey Devils. A team that they tripped up on about a week or so ago I always try to figure out if, you know, if you stub your toe in a game, does it add a little firepower to you the next time you play? Or because they're an Eastern-based team, you don't see them all that often. Is it really hard to get up for these games? What is the motivation, aside from the standings, for the Canucks to kind of right that ship? Well, it's funny you mention it because there's multiple reasons why they should be up for this one. A, a little bit of revenge. They lose 7-2. to two. Now, there are other factors to that, they, they, and I've written about it. You know, you're coming off at a very emotional, pumped up Madison Square Garden night, beating the New York Rangers. You go from that environment the next night to the Prudential Center in Newark. Woo! <laughs> and it just doesn't carry the same cachet and it just doesn't whatever. And they came out flat and they got buried because this Devils team is a hell of a lot better than people give them credit for. I just ran into Mark Recchi and was, he works as an assistant here. We were talking about, well, it's like one of those better luck next year type things. They had goaltending issues. They had injuries. They've gone through six goalies. If it's not for goaltending, and we've again talked about that so many times, it's the name of the game. This is a, this is a pretty damn good hockey team. They have got some very strong young talent up front, including Quinn Hughes's brother, Jack, the former first overall pick. Uh, and not to mention... Luke Hughes, the younger brother, who's also a defenseman, who outscored Quinn at the University of Michigan, was just named today, this morning, the Big Ten Co-Freshman Player of the Year. And he is a New Jersey Devils uh, draft pick. So you're going to see him in the not-so-distant future. Which brings us to reason number two for motivation. A, you got the crap beat out of you last time. B, Quinn can't beat Jack. Jack's beaten him 3-0 and in the NHL and once back in the college days. So undefeated. And finally... Big topic of conversation today with both coaches and with the legendary goalie, Glenn Chico Resch, who you'll hear from on the Vancouver Hockey Now website. 12 in a row, the Devils have defeated the Canucks. Why? 
Well, guess what? We can't figure out why necessarily, but this current Vancouver team needs to snap the streak. You know, you talk about goaltending, and if you were to really quickly look at the Devils a little bit more, they're 22-32-5 this season through their 59 games. They've scored one less goal than the Rangers, who are 20 games above 500, yep. but have given up 60 fewer goals. So, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. They've given up the second most in the Metropolitan Division. And that, to me, if I'm a Vancouver Canuck purist, I'm thinking, I'm thinking you know what, maybe tonight's our night. I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair. I think this is going to be like a 5-3, 6-4 game. Gabby Boudreau hopes you're wrong because he'd like to see Thatcher Demko have a big night and a good night and a solid night, but he will be challenged against these Devils. But it's a great point you bring up about the fact they can score, and I guess just reinforces what I've been saying. It's a much yeah. better team than people give them credit for, but their goaltending has been a disaster. Now, that said, they are going to ride this Nico Dawes kid, 21-year-old German, um, limited number of games in the National Hockey League. He was the f- essentially, if you took their depth chart and the six goalies that you're, that they used, ideally he'd be still playing in the American Hockey League, getting some seasoning. But he would have been their fifth goalie on that depth chart, and now he's riding along here. I believe this is eight straight starts, um, and he beat the Canucks a couple weeks ago in New Jersey, and he's played very very well. So he's bringing the goal ten- bringing them the goaltending that they thought they were going to have at the start of the season with Jonathan Bernier and Mackenzie Blackwood and, you know, Scott Wedgwood go through the list and it just didn't work out for a number of reasons. So the Dawes thing's an interesting little story right now. It's too little too late, but, you know, it still means a lot to them because hopefully for the Devils from their standpoint, it clarifies their goal standing situation moving forward. I want to bring up a couple of Canuck names. I mean, we sit here and we wax on poetically about Miller and Pedersen, Horvat and Besser, but a couple of names that I think need to get a little more shine on them. And I think we've talked about them periodically, but Yuho Lamico is a guy that I don't think a lot of people were really looking at for anything more than, oh, you know, one of Jim Benning's final moves. Is this going to be yet another bust? But he has been, for my money, probably the best surprise on this team this season. What is it about his game that you like? Well, first of all, it's it's great that you bring him up because I remember actually like laughing at him, joking about him early in the season, like, oh my God, this guy cannot get out of his own way. And he, and he was actually like running into teammates. Like he he was like just colliding with just completely out of place. Obviously there's a learning curve. There's a comfort factor. There's a development factor. And as time has moved along and he's spent, obviously now really established themselves with Tyler Mott and Matthew Highmore. I mean, that line's been pretty good and they've actually produced some offense at times. He is kind of, you know, settled into a role where he's effective as a, on the four check works his ass off, you know, occasionally scores a big goal. I mean, he only has 12 points on the season, six goals, six assists, but he's developed into a, a sound player and, and, you know, he's not a top six guy at all, but, Winning teams, successful teams need to have a very effective bottom six and whether they're contributing scoring or not, that quote unquote fourth line needs to be effective and and all good teams have an effective fourth line and Lamico is one of the guys that uh, has taken care of business in that role and he's done so rather well and he's in uh, what is he 26, 25, 26 years old from Finland. Limited number of NHL games, you know, 120, 30 games so far in his career. And 
I think he's found a little little space, a little spot for himself here with the Vancouver Canucks as it stands. 26. Man, you're 26. good with your numbers. I don't think a lot of people that are listening see this, but you never look down at your papers. Like, you're pretty good. And I know you got a screen nearby, but uh, you can rattle off your numbers with the best of them. It's pretty impressive. Well, I'm just throwing them out there because you generally tend to know how old most guys are, right? Like, just kind of a general feel for it, but thank you. <laughs> In addition to the numbers that we talk about statistically, a number that I think a lot of Canuck fans are, are trying to figure out the pros and the cons, and I know everybody's touched on this, but I'd love to get it from you. The number 29, it's JT Miller's age right now, and I think a lot of people would like to see him stay with the Canucks, and they know that he's going to get one more home run contract, be it a four-year, a five-year, or a six-year, but it is that number 29 that makes some people weary. Should they be weary of a player like JT Miller? Like, for example, Rob, does he play the style of game that is going to grind his body down at 31, 32? And then all of a sudden, those last couple of years, you're banging the drum of, oh, my God, his contract's brutal. But the game has changed to the point where now even a grindy physical game is not as grindy and as physical as it used to be. I mean, anything can happen to anybody at any point, I realize. But just in general, the game is not what it was in terms of uh, physical punishment. That aside, 29, are you not in your prime? And when does your prime run out? I mean, 34, 37, 31, I guess it, it's variable depending on the individual and that, that individual psychology. And for a guy who takes the game, and I say this jokingly, but I kind of mean it in a, in a certain way, takes everything more seriously than everyone else and is kind of pissy about it, which I don't really mind. I do mind, and I know his coach minds when he takes pissy penalties and slashes guys and takes neutral zone slashing penalties and costs his team uh, goals. But otherwise, I mean, he's, he's just so into it. He takes it so seriously. It's so important to him winning so competitive and he's become a vocal leader. Um, he downplayed the, the speech that he, you know, apparently made the other night in terms of getting his team rallied against the Washington capitals. And that's fine. But no, I mean, I, I don't see JT Miller barring some incident or series of incidents that just bad luck that beat up a certain body part for whatever reason, see this guy deteriorating at age 34 to the point where he's no longer an effective hockey player. And, and I also don't see this particular player. If he signs a $9 million contract per season saying, Oh, well, <laughs> I just hit pay dirt. I guess I'm good. I'm just going to kind of float through this next four years. I don't, I don't, really see that coming from this particular player you know i have two questions one of them is efficiency and we're going to talk about jt miller's efficiency for example in the games against toronto and montreal he had one shot in both of those games and they both went in so yeah. you know sometimes when Pedersen has no shots or one shot and everybody chastises him myself included for not being able to be productive but miller seems to find himself in the right place at the right time but let me really quickly, based on what you said, go back to that conversation about how he downplayed the speech in the locker room. Because, and again, I'm not trying to create friction, but I'm curious to know if I'm the leader of the team, if I'm Bo Horvat, that's my job. But I also understand every once in a while, you can't be the only guy in the chain of command right. that's got to pipe up. So Miller seems to be a pretty good wingman for Horvat. Oh, yeah. I mean, he wears an A. You've got guys like Oliver Ekman Larson as well, who was a longtime captain of this league. It's never one guy. It's never one guy. 
I mean, the captain is symbolic in certain ways. He is a leader. He leads by example, or at least he's supposed to. But this, again, the successful teams, and JT Miller has brought this up from his time in Tampa. He goes, man, when I was there, it was a whole different feel. You got guys that have played multiple players that have played, you know, 100 plus Stanley Cup playoff games. That's not the case here, but it, it, it's always leadership by committee. And no, I mean, Bo Horvath's not like, ooh, what are you doing? No way. I mean, it, it, he, he wants that type of leadership. You want to share that leadership. So in an ideal situation, you've got Miller, you've got Horvat, you've got Oliver ekman Larson. You know, some older guys just aren't outspoken. They're, it's just not their personality. So how many more of the veterans, and there's only really a few others that might qualify uh, on this roster, are, are, are they the types that would, you know, yap up, speak up? Not sure, but that would probably be the three guys mm-hmm. in my mind that would most likely uh, be willing to voice and would get, get people to listen. Rob Simpson of VancouverHockeyNow.com joining me here on Sports Bar Radio. Rob, let's pull that lens back a little bit and talk about the fact that this stretch right here has three quote-unquote winnable games and then two games against the behemoths of the NHL. Let's look at the next five games here for the Canucks, and we don't have to delve in them too deep, but I look at you know tonight's game against New Jersey. Canucks have the chance to win this game. Detroit, even though they made strides in the right direction, some would still say a winnable game. You've yep. got Calgary. That's a tough out, but then you go right back to Buffalo before you get Colorado. Would it be fair to say, Rob, and I think this is low-hanging fruit here, but I'd just love to make sure that I'm not just, you know, riding the glass-half-full approach. Three of these next four games are must-win for the Canucks. I would agree with that, and some might argue all four. Um, Calgary's going to be tough, considering that Canucks absolutely crushed them last time they were here. Uh, first of all, before we even continue, we have to bring up the, a note that Nick Patan has been called up. So the former sniper, local kid, basically area kid who played for the Portland Winterhawks and scored a lot of goals and got drafted high. And now is back with his hometown organization gets called up to play because Petey's out. No one's confirmed it's his wrist. So Elias Pettersson will not play again tonight against the Devils and Patan will slot into a center position. So it looks like based on morning skate that it's uh, Alex Chase on Nick Patan and uh, Vasily Pod Colson. So a little bit of line juggling going on for Bruce Boudreaux with Patan uh, in the lineup and Pedersen missing again. But they're 1-1-1, one, one, and one, and I believe we kind of viewed it as when this thing started, they need to go 5-2, and two, or in the case of getting one point instead of two points, maybe going 5-1-1. One, and one. So they're... And JT Miller brought this up this morning. He's like, you know what? We kind of need to run this table at this point because one, one, and one needs to turn into five, one, and one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but again, and he, he immediately said, we can't get ahead to Detroit. We can't get ahead to Calgary. We have to worry about the New Jersey Devils because they're fast. They kicked our ass. We have to be ready to play coming out of the gate. And that's something the team has struggled with lately. He poked fun at the fact that this team hasn't been good in the first five to 10 minutes, that they're slow out of the gates. Is that a mental thing? Boy, and it's funny. <laughs> Boudreaux is like joked about, it. he's like, yeah, maybe we'll bring a psychologist in. I mean, teams have psychologists, but um, bring one in to try to figure this out. Do you, do you modify, do, do individual players modify their routine at all? Like, does, can the, I, I mean, 
boot Gabby has basically said, you know, we've, we've, we've harped on it. We've told them, we've asked them, we've, you know, told them why you can't take this team lately, lightly coming out of the blocks. I mean, it just ultimately comes down to being ready to play hockey at the drop of the puck and whatever you need to do as an individual team to make that happen, then you keep trying to make that happen, but it's not black and white. Like that is a weird little dealy do now. And and I just recently wrote this uh, VancouverHockeyNow.com about the fact that, okay, yeah, you came back against the Islanders and you won. You came back the next game against the Toronto Maple Leafs in the third period and you won again. I mean, this is all very, very impressive. You were tied with the Montreal Canadiens going to the third period and you won. You came back against the Washington Capitals in the third period and then took a lead and then lost in overtime. But I mean, you still went through the process of starting slow and finishing fast for the most part. And then Tampa, the defending Stanley Cup champions, a guy named Andre Vasilevsky said, oh, guess what? That 2 nothing lead that you gave us, we're going to hold on to that. So come from behind hockey over the long run is losing hockey. It's an old saying, and it generally applies. So it's a habit they need to break. They definitely need to have a good start against the New Jersey Devils and their young German netminder, Nico Dawes. We talk about the trade deadline. I know the Vancouver Canucks. I'm not going to get into you know that because it's just been covered six ways to tomorrow. Let's talk about a couple of players in particular with other teams. For example, Marc-Andre Fleury has got to be appealing to at least a half dozen teams in the NHL. I know he's got a no trade, but at the same time, He's dying on the vine in Chicago. There's probably got to be an opportunity for him somewhere. Does he move? Yeah, I, w- I mean, I would think so. Uh, like in the case, I mean, it's obviously a completely different situation. Yaroslav Halak in, in with the Canucks who's probably going to play against the Buffalo Sabres on the weekend in the back end of the back-to-back. Um, you know, he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to move, and that's fine because Thatcher Demko is getting a great majority of the starts Anyway, and it's not really a, it doesn't have any playoff implications for another hockey team unless somebody gets banged up and they really need, they need some veteran help. Um, but in the case of Fleury, I mean, this is a guy that would take over and hypothetically lead your team to, you know, potential playoff glory. So I don't, can't get inside his head whether or not he wants to waive, but I think if the situation was right and there was a potential Stanley cup uh, in the offing, if things were to fall into place that, you know, he might want to go the Toronto Maple Leafs besides being still, I'm not sure they've cured their soft quote unquote softness problems, despite Austin Matthews, two game suspensions for two, two game suspension for the cross check <laughs> to the neck of, yeah. of uh, Rasmus Dahlin. Way to go, Austin. I, uh, I'm i not sure that Jack Campbell and Peter Mrazek are the answers, and, and that would be one of the teams that you're referring to, and mm-hmm. a team that, you know, I think many would consider to be a cup contender, although, you know, they have other issues that I just mentioned and have been ongoing for years and years uh, on the back end. So, I mean, yeah, if I'm Flower, why not take a crack at it? It's not like Halak leaving and jumping on a team for depth. This is like, yeah, legit goalie uh, who's still considered a guy that can win you a Stanley Cup. And you know what? I, I 
some people might argue me on this. I actually don't mind his numbers. I mean, I know you don't have Flurry's numbers in front of you, but he's got a 908 save percentage. He's played 43 games. He's shown a little bit of durability. His goals against are up, but he sure doesn't have the defense that he had with four years in Vegas, nor with Pittsburgh during that stretch. So I actually think he's putting in a pretty yeoman's like effort and would be treadmill ready for a team that might have uh, it on a different gear for the last 15, 20 games of the season. So that's a guy that's on the move for, I would like to think he's on the move. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, and also at this stage of his career at his age and and regular season versus postseason, like, you know, where's his mind at, where's his motivation at and where would his adrenaline level be and everything else is focus and, you know, go through the checklist if he were placed in a situation for an opportunity to make a playoff run. I mean, maybe that's unfair to say or unfair comparison to, and suggest maybe that he would up his game, but hell yeah, he would. I mean, I, I would think so. Yeah, I would think so as well. Yeah. Seattle Kraken have had obviously a tough year in their debut, but they've got a couple of pieces that might make a team better. You look at what the Kraken did, and I'm sorry to kind of drag you all over the NHL today, but you okay. look at the Kraken and how they kind of missed. You know how Vegas didn't miss everything they hit yeah. left the ballpark in Seattle yeah. for all of a sudden grounding out to the shortstop a whole lot. Is this an opportunity for them <laughs> to kind of, how would I say this, correct some of their shortcomings from the first year round by maybe flipping a player for some picks and trying to do this over again? I don't know. I mean, in terms of the inventory that is available to that club. I mean, they just re-signed, what do they re-sign Jared McCann? He's all excited to get what a five-year deal or something. Yeah, 25 million uh, bucks. Yeah. 25 million bucks, which isn't, exa- you know, isn't breaking the bank, but he's, he's been very good. Um, you know, they have Eberly and Schwartz under long-term deals. Uh, it's mostly about keeping pucks out of their net. Like this is, you know, Philip Grubauer, needs to have a, a little bit of a stronger D in front of him. Um, I think Mark Giordano for six and a half, seven million bucks is Austin La Vista. Um, I realize he's their captain, but you see the answer moving forward at his age, uh, he's getting close to 40. So I think whatever it takes to improve the back end is what Ronnie Francis will focus on in Seattle. Um, I mean, they have their number one goalie under contract for a long, long time. I'm sure that goaltender is Grubauer is extremely frustrated with the way things are going. But you know what the hell? It's an expansion team. What, what were you expecting? You know, you're not going to repeat Vegas. They didn't repeat Vegas, so it's reality. So now the team uh, is trying to put pieces in place gradually. I think the answer for them, to be honest with you, Rob, is uh, stick to the plan and and draft some players. You got you got all your picks. I think they added a third or fourth rounder in a deal. So you just have to start. You just build the draft. That's really the only way to go about this. You're not going to get too funky with uh, adding current players at this point. There's no reason you you just need to, you need to build a base. I I guess I just look at 38 year old Mark Giordano and I say, you know what, if it even got me a, a pick and I know he's making some decent money, I know that's their captain, but at 38, he's not a part of the long-term plans there. But if I'm a team, that would be able to go out and grab him for, you know, oh, yeah. third for rounder. I'd, I'd yeah. For as a, yeah, as a rental for sure. I mean, and, and the t- general talk is that the 2023 draft is going to be better than the 2022 and they've already loaded up on extra picks in 2023 have Seattle. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a good point by you. If they, if, you know, in Gir- I mentioned Giordano, but in his case, if you were to move him to a contender, and and pick up a pick great i mean which just kind of reinforces what we're saying here just you, they need to build 
through the draft. They need to get some young players. They need to build that system. It's kind of interesting you bring up the draft. This last thing I'll throw at you, Rob. I appreciate your time today, but over the last two years with COVID and the NCAA shutting down and junior hockey having a tough time getting through their seasons, truncated schedules and what have you, it must have been really hard for scouts and scouting departments to truly have their finger on the pulse of every single prospect, which is why I felt like the last two drafts in particular were maybe perhaps a little bit more of a crapshoot than other drafts. So when you say that 2023 is a, quote, stronger draft, does it have to do with the fact that now scouts are being able to get back in the building, get all this, you know, eye candy and start to truly evaluate what they have as opposed to, you know, just kind of seeing it through video? That is a possibility, but I think it more has to just do with general sentiment regarding kind of the central scouting bureaus reports on and European. There's also the central scouting bureau uh, extends to Europe as well. There's also a um, kind of the European branch that's run by Goran Stube, uh, who's in his 80s, by the way, he's run it ever since it started. Um, I think they've indicated it's going to be a real strong 2023 in Europe. And I, I understand that just, I think this is more just general hockey sentiment more than anything else that, that the talent is there. Now, how exact, maybe the ability to analyze that talent and see it in person and feel more confident about those reports. It, that's a, that's a point well taken, but I think this is based more just on general thoughts about kind of the depth of some of the, the uh, 17 year olds that'll be coming around in 2023. I mean, Shane Wright's going to be phenomenal uh, leading things off in the, in this next summer. Uh, and then we'll go from there, but apparently uh Next year is going to be a, a, a little heftier, a little deeper across the board. And a friend asked me this on the weekend. And at first I thought he was asking me tongue in cheek. He said, what about Russian prospects? And at Ooh. first I was just kind of like, ah, you know, but as the world turns, yep. that's a legitimate question. Yep. Great question. Well, because he says it's actually business as usual in Russia. Like what we see in Ukraine on the news on CNN and wherever you're getting your news feeds. Um, obviously, the world is turning at a much different access point for them than most other countries. But he says the day to day in Russia is pretty business as usual. Is it business as usual when you look at a prospect maybe coming from Russia as opposed to them physically getting their games in? Well, that will be determined as that world military political scenario unfolds because we don't know where the hell this is going. I mean, mm -hmm. there are worst case scenarios that are terrifying, Rob, which means we're going to have to grab our gals and head to Telegraph Cove yep. and lock down and wait for bombs to fly. That's ultimately the worst case scenario. Best case scenario is they come up with a diplomatic solution pretty soon. And this BS ends soon, much sooner than later, although I don't see that happening either. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. Um, when I was in New York City and, I, and Bill Daly was touring me around the HQ or the NHL, and the only thing we really talked about other than kind of seeing the building and about personnel that works for the league was the Russian situation and how difficult it is. And you see what companies are doing and you see what international hockey federations are doing. They're basically cutting off the Russians. Uh, it's very delicate. So far, the Russian players are keeping it on the down low. We just saw Ovechkin roll through here. We see him getting booed 
you know, sticks and stones will break my nose, will break my bones, but you know, names will never and hurt you type thing. And your nose. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that that's, uh, I think, well, they, they've actually, uh, the, the, the NHL a week ago, maybe it's even 10 days ago now, I've lost track of time since I was on that road trip. They've already cut off the um, operating agreement with the KHL, the NHL has. So I think if this military political situation continues to gener- degenerate, then there's no question that hockey interaction and sports interaction will degenerate as well. I mean, most of Europe has cut the Russians off from their various hockey federations. They've sent player ho- players home. North American players have skedaddled out of Russia. I mean, it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Let's just put it that way until a solution is found. So could it, Yes, it could, there are there are Russians involved names, draft picks in the top in the first round. No question about it this year. And I'm sure next year that could change dramatically. A, a team could still draft a player. He probably wouldn't be there in person and then hope that by the time this kid turns 20, 21, you know, let him play in Russia. And then hopefully things are fine and then he can come over and play hockey. So from that standpoint, I guess you can roll the dice because you're talking about 18 year old kids. But on a macro scale, in terms of the interaction, it's pretty funked up right now. Yeah, it is. It's interesting that uh, I'm glad I asked you that question, because even though it's delicate, I think that's a fair point to bring up. I mean, if memory serves me correct, I think every Russian has to do a year or two in the military as well. Here's a good example. And you're just telling me about how I know numbers and all this, but I actually cheated and punched this up. Well, just now while you were following up. Mm-hmm. So he- uh, on a couple of different lists, and this is a really good contrast. So you got the kid Danili Yurov, who's a, a forward, who's playing in the KHL for Magnitogorsk, right? And he's supposed to be a top 15 pick. Then you have another Russian, Pavel Mintsyukov, who's playing over here in the OHL for Saginaw. So does that player have his career in North America interrupted where the kid playing in the Magnitogorsk doesn't? So now you could draft the Magnitogorsk kid. And like I said earlier, just hope, okay, things are figured out by the time that he's ready to come to North America in two years, three years. And in the, in the case of Kirill Kaprasov, how many years did it take him to come over? And he ends up winning the Calder, right? They, Minnesota Wild were waiting for him forever. Um, so you don't know. But it's almost maybe even better to just to have the kid develop in Russia, business as usual, for, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And then when things are figured out, bring him over. But for a kid who's playing in the OHL who's Russian, it might even actually be, ironically, more difficult for a kid who's already in North America, depending on what decisions are made regarding Russian players. Isn't he might have to go fascinating. Yeah, right. He might have to go home to play. So what I mean, a there's, story. There's a story yeah, there, my friend. Well, there's yeah, all kinds of stories. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's a story we wish we didn't have to address, yeah. right? Yeah, you're not wrong on that front. Rob Simpson of Vancouver Hockey Now. I took you to all corners of the hockey world on this show. I thank you for doing it. And what do you got coming up? What's on VancouverHockeyNow.com? Well, I'll tell you what. We got a cool preview today besides this program on the site. I I did. I mentioned Chico Resch, uh, Glenn Chico Resch. (laughs) It's an absolute delight to talk to. And we spoke for, I did Simmer's Morning Skate. And it was a little, slightly longer than usual. Usually it's four minutes. I think it was probably six and it was just about psychology and confidence. And how does this Devils team have a 12-game winning streak against the Canucks? 
Why do certain players feel a certain way against certain teams, et cetera, et cetera. It was a lot of fun. And he brings back, he brings up some old stories that are, that are classics. And then uh, of course, on our other side of our lives there, we got the equity.guru and our investments and uh, the investment world that is dominated by Chris Perry and the, the guru himself and his posse who uh, give the fans, hockey fans, incredible investment advice and information. And so I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying working with them as well, doing our investment roundtables. Equity.guru is where you go to watch and learn and spend your money wisely. Of course, there are no guarantees, but they have some pretty good shite. They do. And it is just equity.guru. Some people say, is it equity.guru.com? I said, no, you only get one dot per URL. So <laughs> one dot. Dot guru. <laughs> one dot, damn it. <laughs> All right, Rob, let's do this again. We should ramp this up. If the Vancouver Canucks are starting to make their run, you and I should be doing this multiple times per week. Yeah, I think, uh, well, today's a Tuesday, which is a little weird, but we'll, we should go the Monday, Thursday route and see what happens. Unless they crap the bed, um, you know, in this next four games. But even if they don't, we should probably do this to the end of April because the season does run till the end of April. Bang out a couple of weeks to give the fans information. Ah, the old crap the bed reference. <laughs> Always a good one. It's one crap of my favorites. All yeah. right. Rob Simpson of VancouverHockeyNow.com. I will see you in a couple of days' time. Cheers. Thank you very much, Robert. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen.